the Monday or Tuesday at the beginning of the week, there was a Metallica cassette sitting up there on the on the um, shelf where all the instruments go. Hmm. And every day I'd go in there and get my drink. It was still sitting there. I kept looking at it, still sitting there. It never moved. Friday rolled around. I'm like, nobody cares about that tape. I'm taking that home. There you go. And that started it all. I mean, honestly, I went home. I listened to that, and I'm like, you know, I've been messing around with a drum set my whole life. I've watched my daddy play drums. Whole you can do that on a drum set? I'm like, that's, that's what <laughs> I'm What album do. was it? It was Anne Justice for All. Oh, yeah. 1988. <laughs> and that, that, that started it all. Welcome to another episode of Something Underwater Water Podcast. I'm your, one of your hosts, uh, Sean Clark, and your other host is... Uncle Dave Griffin. Mm-hmm. Caution Light Media, Justin yeah. Mercer behind brought, the... Brought to you by Caution Light Media. Controls over there. And our guest today is Mr. Jason Lee from Wakerhouse, Georgia. Howdy do. <laughs> We're glad to have you, buddy. I'm good to be here. Yeah. Uh, Jason is uh, a drummer. Yep. As far as the the music goes, I'm not a real musician, but I hang out with a lot of them. <laughs> well, we said you was a drummer. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think we covered that point already. <laughs> no, uh, we, we've been in bands together, and you've been in a lot of bands around here. Yeah, well, I think I'm, I've been in all of them one time. Yeah, you've been in every one of them. Really. <laughs> I'm sure I'm going to learn some history here today. I uh, might learn a little bit myself. Concerning... Uh, your past as far as who, whose bands you, you were in and out of. The one that, the only one that the three of us are uh, uh, related to is uh, the Newfangers Project, mm-hmm. where uh, you played on one of the tracks, the Sean song, um, which was titled uh, Blood, Blood in the Pines. Pines. Yep. Yeah. The well, title Graham, of the album. Graham Griffin wrote the words and Paul wrote most of the riffs. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I thought that was your song. That's, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I think I wrote the music to the change, the bridge. The part. bridge, which that was a lot of fun. Looking back on that, I don't know if you remember, we went in and did the original. What it made the album it was supposed to just be a preliminary kind of thing, and we were going to come back and really do it. Whenever. That's what. That's what ended up. That was the cut. Sometimes <laughs> I love the, it though. First yeah. is the you best. didn't like it. Oh yeah, I, I do. I just I could have done it better, you know. But oh, yeah. can't can't you always look back? You can on always it? do it better. Yeah. So, yeah. But I, I I'm glad I was a small part of it. Really. Am. Oh man, because that's a killer project. Well, there really. was a lot of uh, a lot of parts played by people on that that project. Yeah. Um, uh, just one. <laughs> performance one know? off yeah one was, off yeah and that was we, we when that song came up the style of song that it was we mic down to you a little bit under right under your mouth there there you go and uh uh when that song became available you know when we when we saw where it was headed 
Yeah, we, uh, in we a kind of a heavy drummer. direction. <laughs> yeah, we knew call the sloppy that. rock and roll drummer. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, we got to get Jason on this one. Uh, you know, you also played on the. I know you do this, but I'm just telling, <laughs> telling everybody. Else. Did I? No, was, yeah, <laughs> that, uh, you played on the very first recording of the song "Something in the Water." Yeah, uh, that was on my solo album "Strange Bird." Ooh, yeah. and I think I did. Uh, Maybe the Axe of Grease and Gasoline. I think that was the first recording of that, too. Maybe yeah. You might have had another one before that. I don't know. Uh, did I put it on? I don't I, I don't know if that cut ever made an album or anything, but. I can't remember. I don't think it was on um, that album, but we might have recorded it. I might be misremembering, too, though. It's yeah. out print. I haven't heard it in a while. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I've used, I used the original. It's still my favorite. Maybe I'm biased because I'm on it. It is, but good. the original something in the water. Yeah, I use that on some of my YouTube stuff. Cool. I just I, I don't know. I dig that. And your YouTube channel is Trembling Earth Outdoors. Trembling Earth Outdoors. Trimbling Earth. Tell us something about that. Well, roll this over. It's off to a little slow start. Um, <clears throat> I say a slow start. I kind of kind of kicked it on the back burner a little while because my career. Um, you know, comes first. My mm-hmm. job kind of got scolded a little bit. Um, shouldn't have been spending time, so much time doing that. <laughs> um, in the limelight. Which, in all reality, I wasn't spending any more time, you know, hunting and fishing, whatever, with the stuff I'm recording than I ever have been. It's just now there was a camera there. You were just documenting. And they were right. like, wait a minute. And that's, I've always kind of wanted to do that because I'm a big fan of the, the outdoors on tv mm-hmm. so it's an outdoor channel yeah pretty much like hunting and fishing <clears throat> mm-hmm. um right now there's not like i say there's really not much there i've got a lot of content some already ready to go some not ready to go i just hadn't put it out yet um mm-hmm. like i say when i got so scolded i kind of backed put off. the brakes on which is good because there's no hunting going on during mm-hmm. the summer so it's not like i could have mm-hmm. just kept rolling out stuff anyway but you got a, a setup like Kind of like I wish, similar to I've got a computer desk, <laughs> okay. a computer. Well, sometimes yeah. you don't need all all no. of that stuff, you know. But. And actually, the first video I did, I came over here and got him to edit it for me and put it together. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I think I can do that. Mm, yeah. <laughs> There's a reason he does what he does. <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> what took him probably an hour takes me a week, <laughs> but. You know, and it's still not as good, but I enjoy it. It kind of that kind of came in and took the place of music for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, because with my job, I can't, mm-hmm. I can't commit to a band anymore. Can't mm-hmm. commit to gigs. How long has it been since you were uh, in a band? Hmm, that's been quite a while since I was actually a member of a band. I've done one-off gigs here or there and studio stuff. Mm-hmm. Um. Since I was in a band, we're probably looking at six years. Was it Dixie Rack or was mm-hmm. it? And that was a that was a fun thing. That was mm-hmm. to get the get the itch out. Mm-hmm. No traveling band. Yeah, I played with you guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Played with you in a lot of bands. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's hear about them. Let's hear the history that goes back to. Well, the first history I know of, Sean, if we want to go way back. <laughs> yeah. You were in um, a band called Black. Black. Yeah. There's some stories about that one. Um, That was Rick Bennett and Kenny O'Bara. I actually had Robert Parrott. Mm -hmm. 
and David Wilson. I don't know if people probably don't know those names. I don't think they really carried on much in music after that, but Rick and Kenny obviously did. Mm-hmm. They carried on in the Waycross music tradition, but um, that was all heavy metal stuff. Yeah. And at the time, I think you were playing with, was that, what was that, Twist of Fate? Was it Twist of Fate then? I think so. Yeah, probably. That was the very first band I was in. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we did a few high school parties together. Yeah. And that was who? Who all was that? It was Gus. Or Twist, was Gus? Twist, Gus wasn't in. Twist Gus wasn't in. He was hanging out. He was like trying to find find a right. way in there. And that's when we formed Slush Puppy. But um, it was Daniel Moore singing and uh, Jamie Stewart on bass and Scott Bert, Paul. Scott Paul for like a week. <laughs> he was, no. I, he wasn't in Twist of Fate. He was in Slush Puppy. Oh, really? For like a week. And uh, who? It was a. Uh, trying to think if it was was Joey. It was Joey Walltower on the drums. Yeah. Ooh. And then who came after that? Courtney. Or Brett Garrett. Brett. Brett was the one actually playing with Rick and Kenny when I came along. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. And I didn't know how to play anything. I knew how to play a drum set, but songs or anything. The, you know what they liked about me? What? Was that I got into it. I headbanged, <laughs> and, I, and that's all I knew how to do. Dude, you were like, I remember the first time I met you, it must have been at Robert Parrott's house, mm-hmm. and y'all were set up under the garage. And that's we, when it all started. We come over there to listen to y'all jam or whatever, and you wouldn't come out of the house. Yeah. We were all real young. Like You were like such a small little kid, you know? You're like They were like, Trying to you drag up, me out, dragging the door. you out, and you're like holding on to the not door. Doing like, I'm not playing in front of people. <laughs> but, I think uh, I had practiced with a band like two, three times at that. You, yeah, never you even played any music with a band. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I just <laughs> yeah. faked it. Did you guys, I think I still fake it. That's how I made my whole music career. Yeah, we all faking. It. Yeah, <laughs> I've had a lot of fun doing it, but I still know the same three chords I always knew. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, those were some fun days. Um, I think the first we ever played together was before Jack Cadillac, wasn't it? What what did we do before that? Was it something with Rick? Well, we did a jam. We did jam, and was that you? I remember some jam stations in Savannah that lasted all night long. But that's another story. That's That's when I learned how to play funk that night. I think it was something besides just downstroke. I was like, oh, okay. Uh, um, we used to jam in a storage unit. Mm-hmm. Was that, didn't you go over there? Mm-hmm. Kenny and you yep. and Rick. And, That's, that was our practice place. That was I, the most economical. Yeah, I would go over there and jam sometimes with y'all or something. 50 bucks a month. Hot as hell. Yeah. Yeah. I remember one time we were practicing there. Um, we had this gigantic, you know, back then everything mattered other than the music. We had a stage and a drum riser, and we had this gigantic banner behind us that said black. And somebody called the law on us. And uh, obviously the, the city policeman that came, he was black. And the first thing he <laughs> had to point out was, well, did it? The, yep, signs, yep. the sign says black. You guys ain't black. Y'all don't look black to me. You know? <laughs> We're like, oh, boy, where's this going? But he was a nice guy. <laughs> so. What was the first band we were in then? Was maybe it a band it, band or like a? Maybe it was Jack Cadillac. Or no, we actually did Lane Strickland band before that, didn't we? Oh yeah, that was. Was that which one was first? 
That was 2001. Laney was first. Yeah. Well, I feel no. like we had played together <clears throat> before See, that. Jack Callick was before Laney. Right? Man, I can't. It all mixes up to me. I, yeah. No, it was after because I quit Laney and formed Jack Callick. And then you came after Lee had been in the band and stuff and played yeah. with us then. I had a couple of little stints, I guess you could say. Yeah. When you were desperate, I'm just kidding. no, <laughs> no. Um, but I remember something about that—the whole Lanny Strickland band and you doing Jack Cadillac—and it's something I still say to anybody to this day that I remember when you were gonna quit Lanny. I think it was two, three months, something like that. I was in the band about three months. I think. I mean, we stayed on the road. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a constant thing. Um, that was a learning experience from hell. But I remember what you said to me when you told me you were quitting. You were like, "Man." I'm not going to do it. I'm, I'm, this is my last show. And I was like, what in the world? He's like, you said, uh, it stuck with me because you said, this is the lifestyle I want to live. This is not the music I want to play. Mm-hmm. And from that day forward, you started playing original music. I mean, obviously you play covers. Everybody's going to here or there. But, and you've made a career out of playing your own music, and that deserves a lot of respect. That's hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, appreciate it, man. I've always, I've always said, man, that's, that's you know. Not well, only does it take balls, but well, everybody told me I couldn't do it. Ain't it right, Dave? Yeah. <laughs> you can't make it playing your own music, son. <laughs> Give it up. Yeah, you you were told that by all of us <laughs> old old school. Trust me, uh, you can't do it. My dad, in the very beginning, it's one of the things that made me rebel. I guess you could say, and turn to heavy metal. Um, you know, he was always playing. You you know, my dad, but um, always playing. Jake Lee. The Southern rock and the country covers, you know, and mm-hmm. he always told me when I started playing drums and he heard me, he heard me playing, you know, we were playing Metallica and all this kind of stuff. And he's like, you're never going to make any money doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, you, you, you're wasting your time playing that music. I'm like, listen, I'm not doing it to make money. I'm doing yeah. it because I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I like. So yeah. that drove me to do it even more. So, <laughs> I guess when we was coming along, yeah, I did know your daddy. I knew him very well. As a matter of fact, we'll get into some of them stories. But uh, uh, back when we were coming along in the early 70s, it was uh, it a money-based kind yeah. of situation. You know, we, uh, we, we were serious about uh, putting a band together, learning the material. Next step was print some business cards and start booking. You know, that was the, that was the process. And uh, I think what what he was doing was falling victim to that old generation gap thing, you know, where uh, it was his music or our music of the time was all he considered relevant. Right. Uh, and he wasn't giving he, – he was just not realizing that uh, not only did you love the heavier stuff, but there's a whole bunch of other people around that loved it do you mm-hmm. know that would that you could probably make a living playing too you know yeah he just didn't he he couldn't see that part of it because the old generation gap got well yeah way. and truth be told he wasn't really he wasn't wrong it's just that i was in it for a different reason you know mm-hmm. and 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 honestly i guess i've played all kind of music you know i've played it all i, I and i love all styles of music i guess if you're gonna put me into a box it would be i'm a heavy metal rock and roll whatever and i guess because for me it's always been about that's what that's what drew me to it was the groove of it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know being being a drummer and that music has 
the groove drums to yeah. it. And that's just, that's what I love about it. And that's really where my heart's at when it comes to music. But over the years, obviously being a drummer, you don't pick what you're playing to. You're not writing the songs. Mm. You're just putting the right. drums to it, basically. So it's made me, obviously made me branch out. And I liked it. I mean, there's others, there's music. If I wouldn't have played with the people I played with, I would have never started listening to other kinds of music. Mm -hmm. Now I love some of it all, and I really do. Yeah. I've got a diverse collection of that, that I ride and listen to. You never know what's going to come out of my speakers, honestly. <laughs> and, uh, well, it makes life so much better, the more does. diverse it is. You right, are a frontman local uh, vocalist. Too. Yeah. That's what happens when you spill beer in the drum machine and tries to sing. <laughs> tries to sing. Yeah. I mean, you know. That was a lot of fun. I, I did enjoy that. Um, that well, was exhaust. Was that, that was exhaust. Um, you were the you were still the drummer, but you no, sang, or was, you got out front. Yeah, I was oh, the front okay. man, and that was a lot of fun, especially yeah. when I got drunk and rambunctious. Yeah, um, I did that quite a lot. Was it cabin errors or backdraft out there we played? Backdraft, and I think they shut down after that, probably because of me. Because of that. <laughs> you, you was in that band? No, but both of our bands played out uh, there for the, some kind of thing. Um, so being a front man, uh, did that take some adjustment for you, or were you by that time, were you just like, shit, um, I can do anything? At <laughs> first it did because, you know, you're the one that's got to talk and yeah. represent the band, yeah, and everybody's yeah. looking at you. Maybe that's why I drank so much when I did it. <laughs> but after a few beers or a few drinks, it was I was right in there. Oh yeah. So, um, and and after a little while of playing gigs, it didn't take much to get the edge off. I had a lot of fun doing that. I Good. just didn't have the voice for it. Let's be honest. I mean, I'm not. Oh, a, was, it was. You guys were awesome. That was with Rick Bennett too, wasn't it? Mm -hmm. And Kenny. Yeah. And Silas Robar. Silas Robar. Who played? Red Blade and played. Red Blade and was on drums. Yeah. We played uh, <clears throat> we played local a few times. That was never really great. Um, we played a lot in Jacksonville, though. Mm -hmm. And we did some pretty cool things there. You get more attention when you get out of town, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> Everybody yeah. around here is just like, oh, it's just them guys. Again. They've been making noise for a long <laughs> Were time. Were y'all doing original stuff? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Original and covers. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we did originals. And mm -hmm. I guess I'd say the height of the career there as a front man was we won – couple battle of the bands things down in jacksonville and we got to do a live acoustic set on the planet radio is what it was back then i don't know if that even exists mm -hmm. but we had never played acoustic and we walked into a radio station and played mm -hmm. three songs acoustic that we never even practiced that way how'd it go it actually went good yeah, um, cool. i had a tape of it i don't know what happened way better than i anticipated when we started <laughs> i was like this is gonna be it disaster <laughs> but it actually worked that was a lot of fun but then everybody grew up and mm -hmm. i think rep became a pharmacist pharmacist yeah yeah never saw that coming no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but he lives in huntsville alabama now and doing well for himself mm -hmm. i think silas is some kind of city official in valdosta Wow. Some kind of tax. Yeah, I saw him uh, steal Magnolias back when really? we were playing there. Yeah. And then, of course, Kenny and Rick. Well, yeah. Those are lifelong friends. They're Rick Rick is actually, I guess, the one I can say is responsible for kind of making me start playing drums with a band. Um, 
me and him were became music buddies at school and i told him i could play drums which was kind of the truth i was in <laughs> i was in marching band and stuff and obviously i played drum sets sitting around the house with my dad but yeah. i had never played any of this i'm like yeah i can play that because i listened mm -hmm. to it yeah and i faked it and it worked mm -hmm. i'm sure i was saying i could play guitar before i could <laughs> <laughs> so you were in the marching band mm-hmm and so you uh you, a lot like uh connor my son connor followed in my footsteps i was in the marching band out at ware county high school in my high school days and uh probably with my dad because yep, your daddy uh there was a uh when i was in the eighth grade there was uh like a student coalition that came to all the eighth grade classes in the in the lower schools right before high school and uh, there was a high school coalition of students, one representing uh, chorus, one representing band, one representing sports, probably. I don't know. Just different aspects of high school extracurricular activities, high school life. And uh, they came and talked to the, the whole eighth grade class of Memorial Drive elementary and uh it uh prompted us to think about what we wanted as our electives in our first year of high school you know and i had just uh got back from uh tampa florida where i was in a junior high school down there very sophisticated compared to the old country swamp country <laughs> schools up here you know, when I left in the sixth grade to Tampa, I left Memorial Drive and the kids, my classmates were uh, hitting the playground in springtime with blue jeans, T-shirts and uh, uh, bare feet, you know, <laughs> that's where to go. It, they didn't even wait till Easter to pull their shoes off. <laughs> and uh, it was it was uh you know, quite a culture shock to me when we moved down to Tampa. But down there, everything became, you know, real, you know, oh, you got to dress up. H-I-S, London Fog, uh, <laughs> socks match the shirt, <laughs> you know, loafers and shit. Well, uh, Daddy retired, uh, and we came back. So I uh, spent seventh in the first half of the eighth down there, came back to Memorial Drive, second half of the eighth. And there was some same students in their blue jeans with their white T-shirts on. And uh, as soon as springtime hit, the, you know, pull them shoes off. Let's get out there. <laughs> and uh, and here I come waltzing in wearing cologne. And uh, uh, he was a prep. And it was like, <laughs> dang. How did it change so drastically? Anyhow, the the group representing high school came out and helped us to transition in. I said, all right, well, I don't want to take PE for my elective because I've been through a year and a half of that at Tampa. I'm tired of that showering at school. And I'm not a singer, so chorus is out. So that leaves band. I signed up for band. I said, well, what am I going to play? I'll, I'll, let me play the drum. That sounds all right. 
So I learned how to play the drum in the ninth grade and then went through three more years and got quite good at one drum. Uh, but uh, when uh, your daddy was in the eighth grade, he was two years behind me. I was picked to be in that coalition that went to the elementary schools and talked to them about what they can expect in high school. And I, I represented the band program. And uh, he told me uh, years later that that I was responsible for him going into band. Really? <laughs> by that uh, by that coalition meeting in his eighth grade. Now you're responsible so, for me too. Then so that you know, that's how the wow the the uh, the cookie crumbles. Yeah, that's how the dominoes fall. I can blame it all on you, Dave. You blame it all on me. <laughs> so. Uh, and Jake, your daddy was a when he entered the band in the ninth grade. By that time, the uh, the elementary schools had had band programs that were kind of uh, getting them ready for the high school program. And uh, in my case, I learned in the ninth grade and then marched in the tenth, eleventh, and twelfth. But uh, Jake. When your daddy got to high school in the ninth grade, he was right there in the marching band with us, you know, automatically because of his learning in the lower schools. And uh, he was such a little old shrimp. I mean, he <laughs> was little short guy with uh, with thick, thick black glasses. frame glasses <laughs> and braces, <laughs> and he, he just got he he looked uh, very nerdy and. Uh, Damn, a couple of years later, he was taller than me and had longer hair than me and uh, and uh, and drove drove a Mach 1 or Mach 2 Mustang, blue. Boy, mm -hmm. we spent many a night in that riding the streets of Waycross. I think he crashed that thing. Yeah. If it wasn't that one, it was the one right after. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he was good in, in band. I, I remember he played the timbales. We stuck the timbales on him right off the bat. That was two drums. Mm -hmm. You'd wear a harness and you'd strap on two drums. Nothing like my son ended up doing. But uh, Yeah, I was only good enough for one drum. I just put the bass drum on me. Oh, you played the bass drum? Mm -hmm. okay. In marching band, anyway. Yeah, Didn't, You started on snare, though, didn't you? Yeah, but not not in marching band. Marching right. band, I was always just bass. Were drum. we in band together in middle school? Possibly, you were ahead of me, so it's possible. Uh, T me and T.W. were in band together. Yeah. That's how I met T.W. You know, he came to school wearing bandanas and Ted Nugent shirts, and <laughs> he was <laughs> he was on another level back then. But um, I always thought it was cool because he liked. He liked what he liked. He was listening to Iron Maiden and Ted Nugent and stuff that nobody else was listening to in junior high. He yeah. was in his own world, but it made him cool, you know, to me. Yeah. I was like, check this guy out. <laughs> T.W. Did my dad, so so what was the band? You remember, was there a band yeah. name? Yeah, uh, right out of high school, because I didn't pick up the guitar until my senior year. And uh, then uh, graduated high school in 71, and we immediately put a band together that summer and uh um it was called dog hill gang was the name of the band 
Okay. And we would rehearse in a little old empty, empty house across the street from my house and next door to Billy Ray's house. It was a, a three-piece group, and we played, uh, let's see, the, the song that we had down the best was probably uh, I'm Your Captain, Grand Funk Railroad song. We played a couple of Grand Funk songs, and, uh, probably some Credence. I think you told me a story about, I don't know if it was your first gig or only gig or at the Whatever. BFW, you weren't supposed to be there. Yeah, I got that. I'm going to read that in the tale tale of the week at the end of this show. <laughs> Good, I want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I've heard yeah. his version, I'd like to hear yours. Okay, so, uh, so. All right. yeah. <laughs> I'm sure there's probably one and the same, but a little different That's, nuances. I, yeah, that may have been the only band that we ever shared company in. Uh, yeah, because it was uh, that was. 71 and uh we had one gig and then life just got in the way and we started doing different things and uh the next serious band that i was in was 74 and i can't remember what your daddy was doing by then he was probably in and out of some other bands what year were you born? 76. 76, okay. So we weren't in band together. I think I just remember seeing your picture, like a school picture or something with a snare on. It's probably a picture of the kid that says, don't do what he did. Don't do <laughs> I got kicked out of band. You did? Yeah. Forgetting, I got, it was not my attendance. Um, And I don't know if it's a rule or whatever, but. I got suspended too many times from school. So, mm-hmm. And they finally said, nope. I don't like that. Broke my heart because <laughs> I really liked it, but hey, I was a troublemaker. <laughs> I was like, all right, I don't want to play any more of this fancy stuff. I'll play heavy metal. <laughs> Who was your band? Was it Galton? Mann, David Mann. David Mann, yes. See, by that time, things changed drastically. Of course, I had... Before the before marching band, I think I had Kathy Harbuck. I don't know if you remember her. And, That's who I had in seventh grade. And and Tucker. And know. Tucker. Mm-hmm. Rick. Yep. Tucker. Yeah. Those just those are the ones I, I had. Remember that fella. Um, and actually, what I'll say this: I had I think my stepbrother. I didn't really listen to heavy metal until I was <laughs> like I was old or something. Um, until I was about twelve years old. I remember when I was twelve years old. I heard people talking about Metallica all the time, and I didn't care for it. I was actually listening, I think, to Beastie Boys, and mm-hmm. Jody Parrott was the cause for that. But anyway, I remember you had to, back then, you had to carry your drum home to practice. You had to log so many practice hours at home. And I would always come get mine before I got on the bus in the, in the room in there. And one of the Monday or Tuesday at the beginning of the week, there was a Metallica cassette sitting up there on the, on the um, shelf where all the instruments go. Hmm. And every day I'd go in there and get my drink. It was still sitting there. I kept looking at it. still sitting there. It never moved. Friday rolled around. I'm like, nobody cares about that tape. I'm taking that home. There you go. And that started it all. I mean, honestly, I went home. I listened to that. And I'm like, 
you know, I've been messing around with a drum set my whole life. I've watched my daddy play drums. And you can do that on a drum set. I'm like, that's that's what, <laughs> what I'm gonna do. What album was it? It was Anne Justice for All. Oh yeah, 1988, and that 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 started it all. I didn't play in a band, I guess, until three years later, something like that. 91. That's when I first started. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't seem so long ago, but looking back, it's been 30 that's, years. That's when I started too, though. Yep. You were two years younger than me. And uh, those were the days back then. That's when the, that's all that existed in my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, band yeah, once practice I, Once I gigs. started that route, I was I was always good in grades and stuff until that. I was like, screw this. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to play guitar for a living. Tell that teaching lady she ain't telling me nothing. I need <laughs> to know algebra. It didn't turn. It didn't turn out exactly how I thought it would. <laughs> speaking of, speaking of school and, and and about that whole thing, me and you ended up getting our GED together. <laughs> yeah. Go, yeah. yeah, we waited together. Yeah, yeah. Y'all, y'all, y'all took that. <laughs> y'all took that seriously. That whole uh, <laughs> musician, I just bad, boy image and everything. You just dropped out of school. I had failed eleventh grade. I did too, and I was kind of like taking some eleventh grade classes, but then I was in classes with people that were still. So I just like, I don't think they ever knew I was like had failed or whatever. And then I was just like, I'm not going back again. It's just like y'all disappeared. Well, and what happened with me was I failed eleventh grade, started going back, and I was supposed to graduate in '94. If I would have went to summer school, I could have. Right. But then they started the whole the new school. Right. They were merging Waycross and Ware County. Mm-hmm. 95 graduates Same were the year, first. Yeah. We were the last from the old school. Mm-hmm. And then I found out I would have to go to that new school, and I'm like, nope, not going to happen. <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> so that's <laughs> I took the other route. And you know what? It's never held me back. No. Um, not, uh, nobody's ever said, look, you got a GED, get out of here. Yeah. How, long, <laughs> how long before uh, y'all got your GEDs? I don't know. Here. I got mine immediately. Yeah. Immediate. We yeah. were in class together getting them. Actually, I passed. We took the class before my class even graduated. They had to wait for my class to graduate before they actually mailed me my GED. They Where wouldn't, they wouldn't do it do until yeah. OT. Well, what was it then? The uh, technical school? It was Okie Finoki Tech then, wasn't it? Yeah. But it was across the street from there. Right. Uh, but it was still part of It's still of, the same part. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, across the street from OTC. I didn't take the class. I just went up there and said, I can pass the test. And they're like, well, when you fail it, you go out to take the class. That's what I did, too. I said, you, so you did that, too? Yeah, right? I'm like, if I fail it, then I'll take the class. My but- mom, the other day, she's like, you said you got your GED, but I didn't ever see it. I was like, are you telling me I didn't get my GED? Come on. Like, <laughs> I still got mine. Um, Actually, the job I've got right now, I had to show it. I mean, I, I think that's the first it, time but- I ever had to show it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> I got it. So. They didn't. Did y'all uh, mm-hmm. have to take the class? No. no. To, to, just took the, the test. test. We, said, we said, "Hey, man, we we know the Earth goes around the sun, <laughs> not the other way around." <laughs> that's that's that was called quite, as the GED. That's how what, what kind of questions it was. It's yeah. Like, how long does, was does, it? does the Earth go around the sun, or does the sun go around the Earth? How long of a test was it? It was long as yeah, hell. It was, you had lunch and took you know breaks and stuff. It was each yeah. they had subject sections, obviously okay. yeah. English yeah. and math. Yeah, and, but it, so none it of it was hard. It was it was like, are you, can you make it in life? <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of like the, the the assessment test they give you in school. Yeah. It was just yeah. another one of those. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, in it, yeah. <laughs> Just basic knowledge. Mm-hmm. Are you stuff. stupid? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As if you are, you're not getting this thing. It propels you through life or something, I guess. Like, that's not why I failed. I failed. <laughs> <laughs> I failed because I didn't like ass. it. <laughs> I'd rather go out playing music. I would be like the kid asleep, and then the teacher like, all right, Sean, what's the what's the answer to this question? I'm like 34, and she's like, yeah, mother. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's my deal, too, in school. This is, I don't know if you remember, if you saw me any of my last days in school. Um, I got in trouble on my 16th birthday, underage drinking. I had one beer, and I went to jail. Scoundrel. So I was on probation. Well... I was in trouble those days. There's no lying about that. But that's the reason I had failed the 11th grade. I had missed too many days. Well, my mom, I had already failed. They had told me, you're not going to pass. Still had another month or two of school left. My mom let me withdraw so I could go to work. I was doing yards. My stepdad had a yard business. And mm-hmm. I'm like, well, I just work. You know, there's no need for me. And I didn't know you can't do that when you're on probation. They yeah. came and picked me up. You can't work when you're on probation. No, you can't quit school. You can't quit school. Oh, Even though I had a job, I was I was under a I was a minor. I wasn't eighteen yet. Gotcha. Um, so you had to stay in school. Actually, uh-huh. I guess once you're eighteen or whatever, I don't know. You you can just have a job. But anyway, so I spent two weeks in RYDC because I quit school. In what? In RYDC Regional R-Y-D-C, Youth Detention yeah. Center. Yeah. I will never forget it. I did hard time. Wow. That was, what was out that like out at the uh, industrial. Mm-hmm. Out there by the airport. Let me tell you what that was like. See, I mean, I, I was a troublemaker, but, you but I wasn't troublemakers like these kids. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> they had me in a cell smaller than this room. It only had one bed, which was just a metal bed frame, a sink, and a toilet. But there was two of us in there. There was a mattress on the floor, which Ooh. is where I got. And this other kid. What did the other kid do? Do you remember Pogo store on Albany? Getting yeah. robbed and the woman getting shot. I was in the cell with that kid. Jeez. Oh, my God. Weeks. I was a little scared. Shot um, and killed her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. How old was he? Younger than me. I think he was like 14, 13, 14. Thought he was Young scary. Kid. Yeah. He didn't talk a lot. He didn't say much, so I didn't either. I'm just kind of, all right, be quiet and read a book. Shoot. But, so when I got out, they made me go back to school. Mm-hmm. I had already failed. Everybody at the school, including my teachers, knew that. knew that. I didn't even carry books, paper, pen, nothing. I literally went to school and went to sleep. Mm-hmm. I mean, they wouldn't even say anything. You remember Miss Fells? Miss mm-hmm. Fells was the worst one ever. If you fell asleep in her class, she would walk over to your desk and slap a paddle down on the desk to mm-hmm. wake you up. I woke up many times with her doing that to other kids. Not me. <laughs> she didn't even mess with me. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I got a, quite the reputation. For yeah, that I walked around school with a red dot on my head, laying <laughs> on my arm. School. Mm. Speaking of that, I, I think I remember before Jack Cadillac, I played. I don't know what was going on, but I played maybe just practice. I don't know if I ever did a gig, but with gravy a little bit. With gravy, though? Mm-hmm. I don't. Maybe you weren't calling it gravy at the time, but I remember playing that song. What song? And a few of the other school chicken. School chicken. That's why I said school. School chicken. Uh, 
Maybe it was because Will Thrift was always the drummer. Mm-hmm. Maybe he moved. I think he did. I think we were trying happened. to probably keep something going because it was me, you, Jesse, and Graham. About that. I know we've jammed many a times on. Yeah. Like, let's get this band together and maybe it happened. Or maybe I don't think we ever, gig. we might not have ever played a gig. Right. There's many of those kind of things. And I played a gig with you guys too. I don't know if it was, it was obviously well before the New Fingers album, but there was a gig one time. I don't remember who all it was. Was it Lulu's? Was it still called Lulu's? Where the Probably freak so. is now? Yeah. Yeah. With me and Dave and you? Yeah. Nobody and, else. And maybe, maybe Paul? Probably. Yeah. yeah. We we did so much of that. That was so fun too. Yeah, you know? and that's about the time Lulu's was active was when Coyote. the creek started up mm-hmm. at that first location. Cypress Creek, uh, and now and there was a little woodies. bit of uh, competition going on, and we we were the better for it because we could get gigs at both places. It was Woody's back then. It was Woody's, of course. Uh, the Os- Osmonds would always. You know, frown on. Oh, you playing down there at that <laughs> other place? Are you? Well, and ironic that the creek is there now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that same location. Sure, that place long ago started out in my day as the lily pad, was its first incarnation. It wasn't the green frog, was it? It was the green frog. Was was the other the, building the place where the BYRB is now? Yeah, the right accounting mm-hmm. businesses uh, where all the people park in their parking lot. That was the Green Frog Restaurant, an old classic place in Waycross, owned by the Darden family who ended up going and establishing yeah. Red Lobster, Red Lobster. Mm-hmm. and uh, Olive Gardens. They, it all started with the Green Frog and Green Waycross. Frog, Red Lobster. Wow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they had a theme going. And... Uh, and they built the lily pad right there. You know, it was a good distance from in, in back of the Green Frog, you know. Uh, but it but was they own both? Mm-hmm. It what was, was part di- of the Green Frog establishment. Yeah. What was different? Was it more of a the bar? The lily pad was an outdoor thing. It had a, a, a bar that was only the bar was covered. And and then you, you walked out from under that gable where the, the bar was and then you hit a deck, you know, a wooden deck that stretched all the way out into the uh, like a garden, and uh, there weren't no grass or anything. It was rocks, you know, and concrete tables and benches, and you had a section of the concrete po- table and bitches. Benches. Sign me up. And a pole. And a lily pad. had a section there on the, on the wooden porch that the band set up and played. But I was already on the road playing for a living, so I missed out. I mean, I went to the lily pad many times when we'd be on, on a break, you know, come back home for a week and wouldn't be anything to do, so you went went out to the lily pad and uh, some other bands got to play that place. Which uh, I know there's been the Espresso, the Fox Trap. Mm-hmm. Which Stop one of them? Light, traffic Light started off as uh, the Fox Trap. That was it was opened in probably 
76, 7, or 8, somewhere around there. I remember my parents going when I was little. By the uh, Jacobson Brothers. It used to be a men's store or men's and women's store, clothing store in Waycross. The Jacobson family owned it, and uh, they diversified and opened up that nightclub. Your parents went to it? I remember going to the Fox Trap. I just remember that name. Yeah. You stay here. It was big in that disco period of the mid 70s, you know. That's so it was the Fox Trap first. Then it became the Espresso. Espresso. And was it ever the traffic light? It became Alibis. Was it ever, was there a traffic light? There was a, a downtown store that sold Levi's named the traffic light. Yeah. But there could have been a club named that. Is that what the? I think that's what the the bar on Oak Street's called. Oh yeah, <laughs> is that right? Okay, yeah, it's probably still that, right? I think so. It's been that forever. Mm-hmm. But prior to the Fox Trap, it was, uh, I think it was called Eagle Laundry. <laughs> it was an old uh, dry cleaner's place. Huh. That was what it originated as, and. Uh, the Jacobsons turned it into that was Al and Baynard Jacobson that turned it into a nightclub, and it was pretty, pretty, just sophisticated place back in those days. I heard it was a place to be there. It was a place to be. We'd get out there and and dance and and uh, carry on like young folks. <laughs> and. Uh, I remember dancing dance. with your mama out there one <laughs> night. I sure did. It's years later, after your daddy and all. Yeah. Uh, we had some times. Your mama was a, she's a pretty girl. I, back in those days, just starting out, she worked at the Tasty Freeze. Yeah. And uh, that's where your daddy and her met. She had long, straight, long brown hair. Like Cher, mm-hmm. and big brown eyes, and and uh, your daddy flipped, <laughs> and uh, we hung around. Uh, we we did a lot of hanging around back in those days. Uh, all three of us did. And then, of course, me and your daddy, we would always ride around in his car, my car. This would have been seventy two. Uh, cruising around the Dairy Queen. Cruising around the Dairy Queen. Let's see the A and W, the uh, Dairy Queen, the Burger Chef, and uh, and after that, you could oh you going down to the bowling alley and you could get out and go in there. That's where Coley Electric is now. Uh-huh. That was the bowling alley. So the bowling alley, and then right around the the uh, uh, drive-ins. Uh, the the burger joints that was it and there was nothing else to do in this town of course we drink while we was riding <laughs> and uh we got to know all the little bathroom gas station bathrooms you know because it'd be constant yeah <laughs> i got pee you know <laughs> and listening to uh eight track tape uh see uh queen we me and your daddy we got into some queen I discovered Queen on my own. I was, uh, we, uh, me and two other guys was late night partying and, and didn't go to bed and just took out to Jacksonville 
in the early, early, early hours in the morning and uh, pulled over and slept on the shoulder of the highway on US-1, waited till sunrise, and then picked up our journey. <laughs> we wound up down there on downtown Jacksonville. Uh, they used to have a music store where we bought our first equipment from downtown called uh, Paulus Music. And right next to Paulus was a old record store. We drove down, walked in that record store, and I remember going through there and thumbing through the, pull this one album out. It's Queen's first album. It, all it had was Queen, and uh, some uh, it looked like a kind of a pinkish purple front cover of Freddie Mercury, standing there holding a microphone stand, out of focus and everything. I flipped over the back, and there was just just round robin of uh photos of different photos of queen and i said well hell they all look good they all look like rock and roll <laughs> and uh i said never heard of them but i'm buying it <laughs> and carried it home stuck it on the turntable and man from that first song keep yourself alive keep yourself alive my god they were definitely on another level uh, brown, brian brown. may yeah. That guitar player was just, oh, damn. And then Freddie Mercury's voice and you know, drummer and the bass player. And, man, uh, from that point on, but uh, that was one of the uh, two, that first album and the second album, me and your daddy listened to that many and that drunk, uh, singing along with it at the top of our lungs and wind up at home at about 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, Fall asleep, drunk, wake up hungover early the next morning and, and uh, go to work, you know, laying carpet or whatever the job was that I had at the time. I'll tell you what, I know it's been said a lot of times, but you're talking about walking in and buying that album. That's one of the things I miss about music the most. Yeah. And, and I hate one of these cliche things, the kids these days will never know. Yeah. Going in there with joy. Albums. I mean, even it. when it was CDs or cassette tapes. But, yeah. but looking at every one, I'm going, yeah, what I want yeah. to listen to. Yeah. The physical copies of, yeah. of having going and buying music and that being the only way and you And listening listen. to it over and over. Mm-hmm. And you were forced to yeah. listen to the whole album. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You didn't just listen to the yeah. radio hits that you can mm-hmm. go download. And, and no, the you had to. Smell. Yeah. The smell of a crisp. Album. When you pull that you, uh, cellophane off, that the. the the ink print mm-hmm. from the cover would hit you, and then the vinyl, <laughs> the lacquer smell of the album itself, it was just oh man. And stare at the pictures while you were listening. Stare at the pictures. Maybe read, read the lyrics. every liner yeah. note on there, you know, and just and you hear that when you put the needle down. You know, I, I listen mostly to streaming stuff, and uh, I'll just you can literally listen to anything, right? And I'm like. I don't even know what I want to hear now, you know, but if you only got 20, 30 records, that's like, what you're going to listen to. Mm-hmm. You're like, I want to listen to this one or whatever, but it's, it's so hard to pick now that it's just a, at a click of a button mm-hmm. or yeah. So it doesn't mean the same. Everything is at your fingertips now mm-hmm. and it just ain't the same. It's, it's, it's made it all jaded. I mean, mm-hmm. it really has. It's too easy to listen to anything. Back then it took effort. 
Mm-hmm. Like, have you heard of this band? Dude, I went to Jacksonville and I heard this band. Yeah. This guy played me this band. You got to check it out. It was like, oh, you felt like you was finding out some information. It's like back then you either you either had to somebody let you listen to it or you bought it because it looked cool. Yeah. Which I remember one of the albums I was thoroughly disappointed in was I bought Meatloaf, Bad Out of Hell. <laughs> And it was just not what I wanted to listen to when I got like that was yeah. deceiving. I was I was expecting some Aussie yeah ultimate sin type That's stuff. Epic and, cover. Yeah. What is this? Motorcycle. Oh. But yeah, you either you either had to discover them from a friend letting you listen, or you might have heard it on the radio, heard the one song on the radio, and then you go buy the album. Mm-hmm. Or MTV you saw them live. Of. You know, you go to a concert to see one of your bands and they're one of the young bands. The opening opening bands, mm, yeah. yeah. You, I, just, I discovered so many bands that way, and now it's just it's not the same. I miss mm. that man. That's yeah. So much of that magic of music's lost these days. Oh, it's, it's just. I guess that comes from from just uh, having an overabundance of. You know, everything is right there at your fingertips now, and it's it's lost. Yeah, that. it's 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 a good thing, but it's a bad thing. Yeah. All at the same time. Same thing with movies that I was realizing mm-hmm. the other day. I was trying to find something to watch. And if I didn't have everything right in front of me, I would be like, I want to see this. You know, it would have been yeah. easier to mm-hmm. get in the way. It's like, gets well, in damn. The, in the way of your Now talk. that I can literally watch anything, what do I want to watch? <laughs> and not only that, you don't. <laughs> You don't appreciate it as much, right? Yeah. Like I remember back, we so lived this in Maine. Easy. We lived yeah. in Maine, and we didn't even have cable. But one of the stores down the road rented videos, VHS mm-hmm. tapes. I mean, we watched everything in that store. If you only had a couple hundred, but it's like when you had less to choose from. And when you would rent a movie, you would watch it. You enjoyed it more. You would watch it three or four times before you had to take it back the next day. It's or, like now yeah. it's so easy. You turn a movie on. Ten minutes goes by, you get distracted and start looking at something else. You know, I'll screw it. I'll watch mm-hmm. it later, and it's just—it's hard to stay off your phone when you're watching something. You know? Yeah, I have to put it up. Technology has advanced us so far; we've backed up. Yeah, dumbed us really, down. Yeah, it's watered. It's watered everything down. Yeah, everything's. No, what's going to change that either? Because things are just going to progress and keep progressing. And yeah, how do you go back? Maybe, maybe a brownout or a blackout or a solar flare. Which would wipe out everything, everything. <laughs> and, and and force us Asteroid. into it probably force us into a zombie apocalypse type situation. You know, <laughs> it would. I mean, they've written whole reports in the government. They've written reports and uh, on how quickly civilization would decline in 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 after a uh, a. A blackout or a brownout mm-hmm. that lasted for a week. What's a brownout? Brownout is not as bad as a blackout. It's just my underwear. It's probably <laughs> <laughs> and Jason's underwear. <laughs> you know, but uh, 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 brownout probably wouldn't affect as many things. You know, but you'd consider consider the pipeline thing. You know, what yeah, would that, that have been like out. had it gone on for? three weeks or a month or, or something, you know, where mm-hmm. probably wouldn't be as, as bad, but you take a computer outage and the way that these governments around the world are able to hack. Now you take it, if they, if they get it, get it in their mind to hack the, uh, the banking system, 
where you can't yeah. draw money out. You can't. Uh, your money's not your there anymore. Your cash is not there. Shows zero. People are ATM and <laughs> for the cash. Yeah. And you can't do that. Then you're going to see a breakdown in civilization. And we, it's going to happen gradually over a few days. Then it starts being, it starts lasting a week or more. Then you're going to start hearing gunfire in the neighborhoods and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. I mean, I think we've just got shown just how drastically things can change. Yeah. That was like boot mm-hmm. camp for. I mean, <laughs> everything we know can change in the blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. I just wonder at what point are the aliens that started this whole experiment going to call it a failure? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at some point, going to They're pull coming the plug. back. <laughs> I mean, supposedly what the government has admitted there's they, UFOs and now nobody cares. Yeah. They admitted yeah. it during the pandemic, and everybody's like, okay. Do we have to wear a mask? <laughs> do we have to wear a mask? Do they have to wear a mask? Because if they're not wearing the mask, dude, come on. Listen, they can't globally travel here without a vaccination certification. Are y'all serving aliens here? <laughs> McDonald's? But yeah, the, oh, the good old days of music, I do miss the physical copies of albums. I don't care if it's an album, a cassette, a CD even. Well, talk about, talk about where it's going. Like... I'm sorry to cut you off. Go ahead. No, yeah. this is going in another damn. Where direction. is it going? <laughs> you tell me. That's, that's Elon Musk with the Naira. The what's it called? The Link. I just had it in my mind. Euro near Neuralink. Oh yeah, you told me about the first. This. It's like a chip yeah. in your mind. Well, the first things they're trying to do with it is like people who have been paralyzed that have a, you know, it's just a bridge that's been burned in the brain that mm-hmm. is fixing that kind of stuff for like sight and hearing mm-hmm. or maybe not hearing, but brain stuff. And then, but they're like, he was on podcast talking about it. And he's like, you know, as the technology keeps progressing with this thing, it's going to, everybody's going to have this instead of a cell phone. It's going to be a computer in your mind. You're just going to look it up in your mind. We're eventually not going to talk. You're going to listen to music in your mind what the hell he's like he's apple i mind it was on rogue joe rogan yeah. he was like what do you mean you're not gonna be able to talk he's like you can you can talk but it's just gonna be like building a fire you don't need to it's gonna be redundant <laughs> well, so he's like you can you, te- you i can tell to, you faster uh, with telekinesis yeah like psh, like back and okay. forth it's just oh you're gonna be able to send quick emails you're, you're just talking about uh, you're, you're sharing stuff way a, faster than you can actually a, talk it out all whatever. you have to do is think I need to and, ask Sean uh, the lyrics of uh, that new song that we wrote. And you just think that and you automatically it comes into yeah. your head. And he says this is 10 to 20 years from now. That's scary. Will it, I don't know. Man. That's scary. I don't know if we're going to make it. You know, like, <laughs> but think about before cell phones and if somebody's like 10, 20, you're going to be doing all this on your phone. But I don't know, man. That's scary. But now it's nothing. Yeah. And it's going to be like that then. Oh, it's something. Yeah. I wish I didn't have it, man. I do too. I, I, I wish got we could way go back. more stuff done. It like it bogs me down. I wish we could go back. What a cell phone? Cell phones. And, and I stayed away you know, from that's it what the problem is right now. Everybody is is sitting there like this. Yeah. Uh, well, we're all connected without being connected. Cell phone. And it's caused us to become even more less it, connected. Less yeah. connected so because I, mean, I I don't go. We don't hang share out. the same camaraderie that, that yeah. we used to. People know? don't hang out like they used to. They yeah. just and well, when they do, you're all yeah. They're mm-hmm. just doing that. Neighbors ain't neighbors talking about what anymore. you saw on Facebook. Yeah, look at here. Yeah, what <laughs> <laughs> I came out now. You're shoving your phone in my face. But again, <laughs> I'm telling you, like the days of 
the Laney Strickland band. Mm -hmm. We're talking 20 years ago. I'm so glad my cell phone back then was just a little Nike or whatever yeah. they were. They it just had the Nokia. snake game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you could Text call and the snake game. That's all I You had, had to press the button Nokia. this many times just to send a text. And mm -hmm. S. Mm -hmm. <laughs> wow. Can we go back? Yeah. I don't even like that. I don't like being able to. I, mean, I was like the last one to get one of those because I was like, this isn't going good. I don't want, I don't want to be. Anytime somebody wants to get a hold of me, they can call me. Hell with that. Right. I'm I'm out. Like when you used to, though, <laughs> when you, when you when went somewhere, yeah. you were there. You were in that moment. Yeah. Anything else, anywhere else, wasn't even relevant. Yeah. Uh, you, you went out of town and nobody knew where you were at. Mm -hmm. You were on your own. You were yeah. out there. And yeah. now it's never that way. Yeah. Remember uh, back in the days when you, when you had a road map, I, I used to carry an atlas in the van. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In the late 80s, you know, it was a book that had every state's roadmap in it. You know, that's how we got around. Mm -hmm. And you go on a daggum trip, and it seems like, it seems looking back on it, it seems like it was would have been so hard compared to your GPS sitting in the in yeah. front of you now, you know, with a woman talking to you, telling you where to go. Yeah, because even that sometimes yeah. now you miss a turn and you act like the world's ending. And back with the map, it's like <laughs> it's you like, probably didn't even know that turn was there. I think <laughs> what we did, it seems to me like we just wrote the directions out on a piece of paper yeah. or a paper. Like you bag look at the map before says, you left and you wrote, said, I need to turn uh, here. I need to turn yeah, there. 75. Uh, and then that was it. <laughs> I remember when it progressed, didn't have it on a smartphone or a GPS in the car. You could go on Google and. Google print the directions, out. yeah, and print yeah, print out yeah. the print directions. Out. I did that one. The only time I did remember doing that, where I actually printed them out, I was trying to go to a concert. I don't remember which concert, but it was in Atlanta, and I ended up in a cul-de-sac <laughs> in a neighborhood I didn't need to be in with a car full of kids, and we were all like, "Some who sent us these directions? This is a setup. It's a trap, you know." And we were yeah. not. I don't know even how we found out where we were going or who was with me, but I remember that happening. I've drove to Savannah and back from Savannah a million times. And honestly, today I had to work at the uh, IP mill there in Savannah. And I could have just left and drove home. I know how to drive home, but it's so ingrained in my head when I leave, hit home on the GPS and do what she yeah. tells me. Yeah, yeah. And then I got on the phone, so I wasn't listening and I missed a turn. And I wound up somewhere I didn't need to be in Savannah. <laughs> and I'm driving a big black four-wheel drive truck, and I didn't fit in. And <laughs> that's frightening. It really. is. I had to make a bunch of turns to get back out of there. I had a situation like that when I was about 17. and Or I'd been out of high school, probably was, about 18 or 19. And I was by myself in the family car in Jacksonville. And I took a wrong turn and uh, I was in uh, ethnic area and uh, and I was driving faster than I should have been because I was scared you know I was just like panicking and then my foot was down on the accelerator and I was hauling ass right through an ethnic funeral and it was like you know <laughs> I was like oh god because they're cussing me and waving their fists and stuff at the air because I'm driving fast right in their theater. moment of sorrow, you know. 
And I said, please, Lord, just get me out of here. <laughs> I got he said, I'm busy getting this one out. <laughs> I'm busy getting this one out of here. That's not, good, turn. It's not a good feeling, but uh, I guess that's one aspect of it that's probably advanced and 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 uh, improved is is the mapping and yeah, you know, definitely getting around and everything. It is nice. Technology is it makes your life easier, but it makes you dumber. I feel you know. Like, yeah, I don't even add it, anything. Adding, I'm like calculator. Yep, it's right there. Like it's that's just like like the directions that I could drive home. I could drive straight home yeah. from where I left. I've been there so many times. Remembering mm-hmm. phone numbers, but don't I don't do even it. think to do that. It's just like mm-hmm. oh, tell me what to do. Like I, I don't even know my wife's phone number right now. <laughs> yeah, that's a thing of the past. It's crippling us. But and and back on the whole thing, what it's done with music is bands don't make money from selling albums oh, anymore. No. Yeah. It's all about the live gigs and merchandise. Mm-hmm. That's unfortunate. Yeah. And and something I've noticed, I don't know what's going to happen, but I've been paying attention to this, and I kind of saw it coming a long time ago. I'm like, you know, when they open things back up, is it going to be too much all at the same time? And over the last couple of months or so, you're seeing all these tours that have been postponed. The end of this year, there's so many shows. Because I started, you know, getting like, oh, I'd like to go to see that. I like to see that, and it got me thinking: Are they going to have full crowds? Or are they going? Is it going to lower I'm already attendance? Already seeing videos right now of full people shoulder to shoulder crowds. Well, I mean, I'm not talking about areas. are they going to be full crowds because of the pandemic. I'm just wondering, like, when this thing gets started, like these bigger concerts, mm-hmm. you can only go to so many. Oh yeah. Is it? They're going to be so, so many at one because time. There's so many happening at one time. There's yeah. not enough people. I got you. I mean, I guess there'll still be enough people, but I don't see a lot of all of them selling out like usual. I, I was feeling like this whole COVID thing is, yeah, sucked for music because it went away, but it's like getting people back into it because they didn't. They were everybody was taking it for yeah, granted there. Exactly, you know? it was just so much in your face, and now it's like new kids coming up weren't into it. They were just whatever. But now you take it away, and it's like, oh, this is coming back. You need to support it and i think for some musicians it gave them like some of your tour musicians you have to tour so much to make money now that it's giving them a break and kind of refresh them you know like i've heard interviews with so many bands they got to get together and spend Mm -hmm. time just hanging out writing music yeah Mm -hmm. without the pressure of you Mm -hmm. need to be on a tour or Mm. this you know it kind of gave them family time again that they hadn't had in years Mm -hmm. So it mm. kind of pushed reset. So it's been good in that mm. aspect. Of I it. had some shoulder issues going on that was like this inflammation from playing and playing <laughs> and playing and driving and playing and driving. And uh, that all went away and it's starting to come back a little bit now. But uh, I miss playing. I mean, you guys, I know you, you, you do it. You've done it for years. And so to take it away for a year and a half has been a big change. Well, some places hadn't come back yet uh, and are not going to come back. Uh, they've made the conscious decision to not have live music on this side of the pandemic. Uh, that's only a handful of them, but still it... Some of them went out of business. It effect, and some of them did go out of business, but... Uh, Maybe it'll come back around as it actually gets back I to normal. I think it will. It's, it's got to, you know... Music ain't going away. Music no. can 
music and and uh, um, pornography and uh, <laughs> uh, drinking. Those three things. Uh, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Sex, drugs, and <laughs> rock and roll. That's it. <laughs> That's uh, 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 they will always outlast any kind of a downturn, like the depression. Those three things still well, that, kept going. You know? Well, those the time. Those are the times you need those three things. You need, yeah. <laughs> so, they're all escapes. I got they're full, all vices. Full faith in 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 uh, uh, brothels. Being in humanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> full faith in humanity. The, the brothel of hum that humanity is. <laughs> On that note, I need another drink. Well, folks, we'll be right back with our guest, Jason Lee. Maybe we'll start talking about music. Yeah. (laughs) Something in my brain won't let me stray. Something in my veins gonna find its way. Something in the water taught me how to pray.
mercy. <laughs> I love that video. That's awesome. That? Yeah, that was a fun time. How old is that? That's about two years, in it? Or uh, more? Yeah, it's probably four. It's been uh, a while now, yeah. Four or five, yeah, maybe. It's one of my favorites. And uh, y'all watching on here probably recognize uh, Chris and Laurie as being our guests on uh, a few episodes ago. Uh, that's one of their originals there. And... Uh, I guess who's the other one? John Peavy on guitar, Josh Kirkland on guitar, Don Hill on bass, and then Chris and Laurie. <laughs> yeah, Chris and Laurie, and and our guest Jason Lee on the drums. Like I say, that was that was a really fun time. Some of those times you get together, you know, musicians stuff just comes together without any effort, and that was one of those days. That was a lot of fun. So y'all weren't like in the band. Y'all just got together for this video? Yeah. Mm -hmm. and so We did another video, too. I think we did a Dirt Kick, wasn't it? Yeah. Really? We did that yeah, down at, at that the depot. Song. Yeah, okay. I remember that one. That was fun, too. <laughs> but that was way earlier than... Was no, that, that was that was after that, actually. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, it's a newer, later version. It's the same players that was on that. I think we did a version of Dirt Kick when I was Okay, in. I remember the no, old one. No, I was not in the band because the bass player in that band was Justin Mitchie. Maybe I didn't see that one. And uh, <laughs> we got commercials on our podcast now, folks. <laughs> they come and go. That uh, will. Uh, but uh, uh, I was the bartender. That was Dark Kick when we we recorded. Yeah, that you were the. Video. But that that was, was the one that was way before that one. Right? Way before that. That was, was a Haystaker or. Yeah, I did. I did the original back way back then too on that at Jesse's mm -hmm. studio. Cool. That was way back then. Dark Kick too, if you want to watch it. You got it pulled up. Yeah. Let's watch. Yeah, I love. Uh, Chris's songwriting. I love his production too. He's, he just got a real. He's got a real ear for. He's he, he's business. I can tell you when the you production know, of it. He wants things tight. He's mm -hmm. a perfectionist. Here we go with another one.
Yes, sir, man. That was oh, good. Man. I, I never saw that one. I, you know, I hadn't watched that in so long. I've kind of forgot little parts of it. So well, folks, cool if y'all just it. tuned in, that epitomizes what this podcast is all about. That right there is something in the water. A lot of good uh, musicians in there. All of those uh, people man. on there either have been or will be our guests on yeah, here. Oh, yeah. Uh, that might be it. wow they're just uh i mean there's just a a pool of of uh talent down here from songwriters to vocalists to musicians yeah it's just it's just that was evidence a big, of it a right big there that part of the of community right there, yeah <laughs> yeah that's stretching from valdosta back to here and all the way i guess to brunswick and uh stretch that was our our guest jason lee once again on drums there. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've done a pretty good bit of studio stuff here and there with Chris and Laurie. That's kind of the last stuff I've really done because um, I can't commit to a band these days with my work schedule. So I hadn't done enough you, of it. What are you doing um, now? I am an account manager. Um, basically, I'm a... You work the roads. Well, yeah. I go to sawmills. I service the equipment. Um that we sell i sell it's a disposable knife company basically so in the sawmills you've got things that chip wood period whether it's uh i don't know they call them a chipping saw that makes the lumber whether it's a chipper like um out georgia biomass or a paper mill they're just making chips for pulp or either to make pellets whatever if it chips wood we make something that does it Um, so you call the the blades knives mm mm-hmm you call them knives that fits into the machines. Yep. Mm. So it's a it's an interesting job. Not a lot of people. There's only a few companies that make what we make. I mean, yeah. and it's kind of a. You have? Do you spend a lot of time on the road? I mean, you, I do. I do. Do you have to stay like um, out of town on the road like overnight? Yeah. Oh stuff? yeah. Oh yeah. All when we're time. doing when we're doing yeah. installs or services, I have to be there early in the morning. But my area is Georgia and Florida. And partly in the Carolinas, but I do travel all over helping other people in the company too. So, mm. um, yeah, I travel. That's, that's kind of like the life of a musician. You were prepared for that, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> your music years prepared you for your job now. Yeah. Sean and I had a good adventure of that, though, in the Lane Strickland <laughs> Band. I carried it on for a few more years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was quite an adventure. Um, I had, had, man, that's. A lot of fun doing it. I that, was good, that. that was good times playing I, with him. I did three on the road back in my day, 75 through 78. So We were playing 100 shows or more a year, too, and that yeah. was that's a, lot of, that's a lot of playing. Of course, who am I telling? <laughs> right. Did, did, did we tell the story on here or was it uh, on one of our trips i think it might have been on our trip to making the uh the other day that you told a story about when you were in the laney strickland band that y'all were riding down 16 yeah okay i 16 <laughs> tell that story. you gotta That's remember funny. this <laughs> it was the middle of the day we were traveling laney strickland band in the van and uh we're going down 16 must have been going to statesboro probably i don't remember where we were going or coming from there i'm sure of it but um we passed David Allen Coe. You remember this? Mm-hmm. And he was in his bus. Well, I got more David Allen Coe story to go with it. So. Yeah. He was in his bus, and he was on the inside lane. And we and Laney's like, I think that's David Allen Coe. That he was good. driving it? 
and so we get up there and the, his door is open and he like no air condition just shorts and just him driving his own <laughs> bus and just look like hunter s thompson or something and we're like hey you know beeping the horn and whatever um what's crazy is several years later we played we opened up for him a few times but one of those was in starkville mississippi and we stayed end up staying at the same hotel as him we didn't know it but <clears throat> all kind of stuff happened that night it was like freezing cold they paid me to jump in the pool like a few of us ended up doing that it was pretty interesting <laughs> but we played the gig as interesting as that was because believe me david allen co is a sight to behold <laughs> yeah. seeing him play live um well we get back to the hotel and there's this bus. We've done all this debauchery in the pool. We walk out there to the parking lot. There's this bus, and it's running. And uh, we go up and knock on the door. I wonder if he's in there and awake. Go and knock on the door. Nobody comes to the door. Hmm. Well, Eddie opens the door, and there's David Allen Coe snuggled up on his little with his on his couch with a little afghan over him, a little color colorful afghan. <laughs> Eddie sneaks up there and takes a picture of him. Hops back oh, oh, no. I'm like, do you know what would have happened if he would have woke up and saw you standing there over him shot. taking a picture? Yeah, wow. He probably had a revolver underneath that Afghan, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, that was a uh, – I've had some interesting times good, out on the road with good those stories. Um, Did you play any of those Hank 3 shows? Were you- no, no, that was right after I got out. Um. Yeah, that would have been fun. But things happen. Life happens. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That band that band was a lot of fun. Obviously the most playing I ever did, the biggest crowds I ever did. Um mm-hmm. by a long, big long shot. I mean, we opened up for what, Leonard Skinner, um, Hank Jr. Those were like wild adventure shows, but there's literally, you know, tens yeah. of thousands of people out there in front of you. That's a little different feeling. It was something yeah, yeah. I'm cool I got to, I, I'm glad I got to experience that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, and I've been in nothing but kind of hometown bands, just getting the lead out ever since then. Mm-hmm. That kind of took the travel out of me, I guess. <laughs> Got that, but you know it's bad now. I still itch to play. But there was one year at uh, uh, Swamp Town that Newfanglers performed, and I think uh, you may have ended up playing a lot of songs. That night on stage was because of a lack of a drummer. Mm-hmm. I did. I, can't do, remember I did do a gig where I was the main drummer. There yeah. was only one of them. Was that? Um, I festival? did another couple where I just sat in and played that one song. But yeah, I did a couple of gigs. I, I just can't remember exactly when and where they were, but I'm sure I thought that creeps. we had done. We did a version of uh, Jack Cadillac, uh, um, where you played and Jody was on bass and. Dylan Crosby was on guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw pictures of Swamp that the other, just the other night. They popped up that in was, my memories. I like practicing for that, and uh, I thought that turned out really well. That's it. Mm. You know, it's, it's hard to even think back how many bands I've been in. I'm sure it is for all of you. How many bands have you been in? You know, mm-hmm. um, I could probably count mine pretty easy. Y'all, y'all started a lot younger than I did. So, yeah. I bet we could have a contest between me and you, Jason, see who which one had the worst band names. I think I could win that one, though. <laughs> I could win that one with one name alone. It was the worst band name ever. 
but <laughs> what was well we had some thrifty stuff let's let me go back through the band names let's start here again <laughs> we had black which actually originally was called blackout we changed it to black because hey what was cooler than black right mm -hmm. and we were talking you know the color black the concert shirts and that's you know just anyway um so there was black then there was uh and i'm gonna get this is not in any not necessarily in time order because i'm sure right. i'm screwing it up but we had exhaust and that mm -hmm. was the one i was singing in mm -hmm. um we had capital f yeah and that was me and yeah. rick and frank sykes that was the one band i played in with him i guess mm -hmm. um then there was igmo igmo yes yeah. um named after uh silas's dog <laughs> Because he was always there when we practiced. So, uh -huh. Igma. Hey. Um, anyway, good that name, was that was a that was a heavy band. Yes, not a bad name. Um, but Distant. That was one of my first bands. Distant was with, the name of the band. With Jesse and we got Heron. really creative and made the with first them? album up close. T W and <laughs> T W Lot and Jesse Heron. Yeah, that's when I met all y'all. We that recorded. Band. That was my first studio. Experience. Already knew you. We recorded yeah. a whole album. I don't know if you remember yeah. that. And Jesse we got a thousand Stewart. copies pressed. We probably still got nine hundred eighty. I do remember that name. That's when I met Jesse. It wasn't. <laughs> sure, I already knew you name. and TW. We ended up changing that band name to Twelve Gauge Enema, <laughs> and that's where I win the contest. Yeah, Twelve Gauge Enema. <laughs> yeah, that was a pretty well, rough one. Fat Baby Angels is probably my worst one. Or <laughs> you've also got yeah. the, the worst one. We actually kind of went tie. What? Because we both played in Dixie Rec. Yeah, <laughs> and that tops the cake for bad band names. Dixie Rec. <laughs> oh God! I've never heard it that way before. But now, now that you brought my attention, I'll never be able to unhear it. And the Laney Strickland band, yeah. and we changed that to Dixie Union. Oh yeah, okay. At yeah. one point, that's right. Yeah. I just saw Eddie the other day. How's he's he making doing? cornhole. He's, yes, he is. And if if you can he's find what? any. He's making cornhole uh, things. <laughs> yeah, he does. He makes really nice cornhole boards. But let okay. me tell you something. The, I don't, have, have you ever played? Yeah, yeah, I played. I don't know anybody that could beat Daddy. I don't know anybody that could beat Daddy. I don't. I don't think oh, I've ever. Good. If you should watch him, I mean, he's probably he, like a a billiard shark. He's probably got the angles and everything down. Oh yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> he's done it so much that muscle memory's locked in. Yeah, but uh. So yeah, he he's doing good. He's he building those like regular. He built a real nice good. set, but he's really good at it. We need to get him on here. <laughs> he would be a good one. Yeah, yeah. He's were, got some stories to tell. He's played around. Were you playing when they, uh, or was that Mac when uh, the pyro went off, blew Eddie's watch off, and yeah, um, that was that was pretty horrifying. I'm blind. That was me. Um, not only not only did that happen with the pyro, but not long after I mean we're talking when I say not long, we're talking like a month after the whole Great White Pyro incident. Yeah. Yeah. Where people died in the club Ooh, from it mm -hmm. catching on fire. We were playing in Mississippi. Um, I don't remember the name of the place. It was like not not maybe it was Studio fifty four. Something like that. Mm -hmm. They were it was a playoff of that anyway, whatever the name was. But they had a little drum riser built back into the back wall of the stage. So it was kind of like a little cave there. Mm -hmm. And the roof was lined with black spray-painted eggshell crate foam. Cool. And the pyro pods were right on the front of the drum riser. Yeah, so they set the pyro off, and I'm back there 
I, I didn't notice it for a minute, but all of a sudden fire starts dripping onto my symbol. Oh, no. Zoop, zoop, you know, it's just drop. And I'm like, what the heck? I looked up and I'm like, holy shit. The roof is, I mean, and it's growing fast. The roof. Mm-hmm. And I'm back there. I, I, I should have just immediately stopped playing, but I'm trying to get somebody's attention while I'm playing the song. I mean, I'm not in my right mind to just say stop. And finally, that's what I had to do. Yeah. I just had to stop playing because nobody was paying me any attention. And by the time I did, man, the whole place was like full of smoke. People were hauling ass out the doors. And this is like a month after that. Oh, no, man. You know, that ended the pyro for a while. Yeah. yeah needless well, to say. Uh, was y'all's uh, pyro, I mean, that's a... That was some homemade, homemade backwoods pyro. pyro. But, but did you take it with you? Yes. So you had your own pyro guy? Yeah, the or bass player. Or did you rely on... Okay, so, <laughs> so he traveled. He had, a, he had a welded thing it was just well we all had it made and we we actually went to the place they it's a fireworks manufacturer place but they do pyro stuff for you know the bigger shows yeah um, they manufacture all this stuff and it's just a mixture of like concussion powder that makes the bang yeah. glitter powder that makes the sparkle in the fire i mean it and you mix that stuff so we mixed it put little the fuses were those little model rocket fuses they went inside the pipe and yeah, it was pretty dangerous. And it was designed not to, to go high, but just to... Well, it shot high. Yeah. It did. So Big bang and fired straight Not up. super high, but yeah. high enough to hit the roof in that little drum riser. So. Yeah. Um, it was so damn loud, though. It was. Uh, that When it would, get, it would go off on whatever part of the song, and you're still playing, but you can't hear for about 10 seconds or five seconds and you knew before the sound of the instruments come back. And you knew left, when it was coming, too, didn't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. My left ear is permanently damaged from that band because Eddie and Laney always had battles back and forth on stage volume. One of them got too loud. They, they're constantly just slipping over there and turning up just a little bit, and the other one turning up. And I had Laney's amp about like that one most of the time, sitting right to my left. Yeah. And my left ear is trash mm. <laughs> we did a, a hearing test we went to an audiologist one time back during our band days and the results of the test broke down it you could tell which where our monitors were placed and how loud they were because everybody's test results said yeah you're low on this side you're low on this side and that was right where our monitors were you know <laughs> so it was always that way. Mm. Yep, everything just gets louder and louder. But the ringing, man, the ringing in my left ear. Oh, it's terrible. <laughs> but I have learned to ignore it. At night, I go right to sleep. It used to bother me. Not anymore. I don't know how. Just suddenly blocked it out. Rick's got bad mm-hmm. ringing. Yeah, he's got really bad Rick ringing. Bennett. You pay the price. I wish I'd have known. It was nerdy to wear earplugs. I couldn't stand to do it. I couldn't stand to listen to it mm-hmm. through earplugs. Well, they got those ones now that it doesn't really it's a filter. It, it doesn't muffle yeah. muffle it. It's like just drops the volume. Mm-hmm. Connor's got some. Hmm. I should have had them back then. Well, folks, I reckon it's time we hit the old uh, tale of the week. I'm looking forward to this one. Written by yours truly. Uncle Dave, uh, this one concerns your daddy uh, in, in in places. Let me grab those glasses down there on the floor that are not down there. Thank you. Thanks. 
This one is entitled VFW Penthouse Magazine and How I Found and Lost Graham Parsons. I caught the music bug in 71 during my senior year of high school. That was 1971. No matter what I listened to, that bass guitar just kept jumping out at me. Billy Ray Heron, my old neighbor on Mount Pleasant Road, or Dog Hill as we used to call it, has had been playing guitar for several years already and invited me by one afternoon after school. Leaning up in the corner of his bedroom stood a six-string silvertone electric guitar with only four strings on it. He grabbed it and showed me the bass line for Jimi Hendrix's Hey Joe, and I never looked back. After we both graduated that June, we left Dog Hill and headed off to separate colleges. I chose Georgia Southern in Statesboro. Billy Ray enrolled at South Georgia Junior College in Douglas. Despite the distance, we managed to pull our first band together on weekends in Waycross, rehearsing in a small, empty wood frame house on Dog Hill. Billy Ray played guitar and handled the vocals. Jake Lee was our drummer, and I played bass. We were offered a job in late September of 71 at the local VFW in Waycross. We had no PA system, but we overcame that by taping the microphone to a broom handle and cramming the wood stick into a knot hole on the stage floor. On the afternoon of the gig, we practiced our asses off playing everything in our slim repertoire, Credence Clearwater Revival, Grand Funk Railroad, and Chris Christofferson. The VFW would give us what we took in at the door, so we hired Gary Keels as our doorman and proceeded to play to an empty room. Late in the evening, the veterans in the bar next door took pity on us and pooled some money together. We walked out with about $8.33 apiece. Back in our day, before the World Wide Web, Google, and Wikipedia, we gleaned as much music news as we could by poring over album covers from front to back, reading Rolling Stone magazine and the occasional word of mouth from friends and strangers. One weekend in 71, Billy Ray relayed a tidbit of info he had picked up from a dorm mate at college. The guy told him that he had heard one of the birds was from Waycross, Georgia. Well, at a time in the late 60s when psychedelic music ruled the airwaves, Graham Parsons guided the birds into a country music direction. Their landmark album, Sweetheart of the Rodeo, was roundly celebrated by music critics, but largely ignored by the record buying public. We didn't yet know about Graham Parsons who had left Waycross at the age of 12 while we were mere six-year-olds. He moved to Winter Haven, Florida, got into music, and wound up in California with the birds. The birds we knew, or thought we knew, were the Dylan-esque folk rockers led by Roger McGuinn, so we dismissed that information as quickly as we heard it. By 1973, I had dropped out of Georgia Southern and found my place in the workforce delivering building materials for Choo Choo Supply. Billy Ray had followed suit and was working as a tour boat guide at the Okefenokee Swamp Park, located eight miles south of Waycross. 
So in July of 73, I had made a run to St. Simon's Island with a pickup full of plywood. At lunchtime, I grabbed a ham sandwich and the latest issue of Penthouse and sat in the cab of my truck on Mallory Street down by the pier. I took a quick peek at the centerfold before turning to the new music section in front of the magazine, where I began to read a review of an album called simply GP. There was a black and white photo of the artist, Graham Parsons, smiling and handsome. As I continued, the reviewer stated, much of the music on GP is reminiscent of the country music played on radio stations in Waycross, Georgia, where Graham grew up as a child. That was all it took. I ground that pickup into high gear and hauled ass back to Waycross, Billy Ray's trailer with the news. From that day forward, our lives were transformed. Sleepy little old Waycross was home to a bona fide musician, not just any musician. This guy's artistic vision had created a new musical direction that, unknowingly, we had already subscribed to, as groups like Poco and the Eagles were already on our turntables at home. We both started buying up Parsons' catalog from international submarine bands safe at home, through the birds and flying burrito brothers all the way up to GP, his first solo album. On September 19th, 1973, Graham Parsons passed away in roommate of the Joshua tree Inn, succumbing to a lethal mixture of alcohol and morphine. He was only 26 years old. In a mere period of two months, we had found our musical visionary, then lost him. Billy Ray immediately took upon himself the task of figuring out who Graham Parsons the Waycross boy was. He interviewed everyone who knew him, from childhood friends to workers at Snively Grove's box factory, the business Graham's daddy managed. Having all this knowledge, Billy Ray has been interviewed for several biographies on Parsons' life and the BBC documentary Graham Parsons' Fallen Angel. In 1999, he wrote a letter to the governor of Georgia, Zell Miller, which led to Parsons' induction into the Georgia Music Hall of Fame. Personally, with a lot of luck and some cosmic influence, I founded the annual Graham Parsons Guitar Pulling Tribute Festival in my backyard in 1998. Years later, 24 years as a matter of fact, it still stands as one of the best little outdoor music festivals you've never been to. But you still have time because it's going to be going on this year, the 24th annual Graham Parsons Guitar Pool and Tribute Festival, uh, October 21st, 22nd, and 23rd at the Okefenokee Fairgrounds. And there you'll see Billy Ray Heron and myself take the stage and pay musical tribute to Graham's legacy, a legacy we stumbled upon in the pages of a penthouse magazine. <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> That's so good stuff. there it goes. Another reference to sex and rock and roll. <laughs> yep. You said you had your side of a story with your dad and Dave or, or your dad's side of the story. 
Yeah. Um, well, there's a little more to that that I didn't include in the book. Right, right, right. right. Uh, yeah. Because I spent the Friday night. That weekend, I told my folks I was staying in Statesboro. But yet, I rode home with my buddies and did not go home. I just went to Billy Ray's trailer on Friday night, and we drove to Ware County's out-of-town football game in Bainbridge or somewhere. Where were we all playing at? I don't remember that part of the story. VFW. Was it? On Saturday night. But first night, Friday night, I spent the night with Ray, and we rode to the out-of-town Ware County football game and was drinking beer on the way and happened to run into some church friends of my folks at the football game. Mm. And they, you know how church friends are. They stay in the loop, you know. They they looked at me and they said, your parents said you were staying at Georgia Southern this weekend. And I said, I am. In fact, I just came to the football game on Friday night, and I'm going back to Statesboro tonight. So... There was lie number one, or <laughs> lie number two. First time was when I lied to my folks, told them I was staying. So uh, ride back, spend the night at Billy Ray's trailer, Friday night. We get up Saturday and meet up at the VFW and set the equipment up and rehearse for the big gig that night. And uh, as said in the story there, the gig was nothing. <laughs> wasn't nothing big about it but it was an important first step for us and uh, then went home with your daddy and spent saturday night with your daddy at his house is this the is this the one what what he tells me about is somebody walking in to the gateway gig. restaurant yeah or no, was, seeing you in town yes yeah and that awesome. happened on sunday because spent the night with your daddy jake lee on saturday night at his uh, home and uh, Sunday morning Jake's mama Evelyn mm-hmm. Eleanor Eleanor got got up and went to church and me and Jake's daddy rolled on down to the Gateway restaurant which was right there on Albany Avenue right up with the road many from times. their house mm-hmm. and uh, we get there before church lets out and we're sitting over on the side wall up under the air conditioner there. And I'm sitting there with my back to the front door. And <laughs> your daddy is sitting uh, to my uh, right with his eye aimed at the front door. And right there also to my right was uh, the counter with these swivel stools on it like the old diners have. And uh, anyhow, your daddy's sitting there and he says, David, those people that were at the football game the other night, the friends of your parents just walked in. And I went, like, slumped down a little bit in my chair. And he said, David, your little sister just walked in. Dang. And I struck down a little lower. He said, David, your parents just walked in and they took a table. Let's see if I'm sitting right here. Hunched down. <laughs> they took a table right over there. And right back here was the counter stools. And uh, my little sister 
jumps up on the stool right behind me, right over my shoulder there, and starts spinning around and around on the stool. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Finally, she goes, <laughs> pulls that stool to a halt, and she I can feel her looking, looking around the corner at me. <laughs> and uh, she yells out, Dave, <laughs> what's Dave doing here? Oh. And uh, I, I just turned on, looked at my parents, and <laughs> I. <laughs> and uh, Mama was tickled to death to see me, as as Mamas are. Daddy was not happy. He was on to you. <laughs> he, he's automatically. He knew you were up to no good. He automatically. That was the day that I rode back home with them and waited on my ride to go back to college. But while we were at home, me and Daddy were out at the clothesline taking in the clothes. There's something you don't hear, folks. <laughs> we were out at the clothesline taking the clothes in <laughs> and daddy was admonishing me for uh well number one for lying which i shouldn't have done but uh he he had gotten the whole story out of me why why i lied was because i i wanted to play the gig at the vfw and i figured that they wouldn't let me if i'd have told them you know so Daddy was telling me, he says, a famous quote was, uh, my son will not play in juke joints. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that turned out not to be true. And the VFW I, is a classic I mean, example of a, yeah, of a juke, juke joint. joint yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, but flash forward a few years later, probably – Five years later, and uh, Daddy and Mama and all the family was in the audience at the King of the Road in Valdosta, which was not a joke joint. It was a, like a supper club. And uh, and uh, I remember uh, laying in bed one Sunday night at home after they got home from church and hearing him, you know, uh, some of the friends of theirs came home from church with him, and he was he'd bring uh, bring his buddy in there and uh, point out all the guitars that I had stacked up on the couch and tell them about all of my conquests and everything. <laughs> so he had changed he changed his opinion. I'm proud of you then. He was. Yeah. <laughs> So, Got to get out and show them you're actually did, serious. Is that is that the story? Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. That, yeah. That Jake told you. Yeah. I don't know if I would have if I would have known all the details of the little sister and all that. You see, yeah. you have a you were there. Obviously, you have a oh lord, a lot was, more knowledge it, of the situation. It was hitting than hard. Huh? It was hitting close to home. Just <laughs> <It's laughs> like God Almighty, don't ever, folks, don't ever lie to your parents. <laughs> right. It'll come back on you. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much what he told me. Don't go to where everybody's going to eat <laughs> on Sunday. <laughs> for one, that's funny though. I, I, I've ate there. That's some of the good memories I have of my papa was eating in that same restaurant. Mm. Obviously, a lot of years later. Mm. Um, eating with my papa in there too. A lot. He'd always take me there. Yep. It was great. It was, it was some of the best. Well, it was like Nana's. 
Some of the best grits and eggs. Yeah. Remember that big old down home? Cookie. He always called it the greasy spoon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> big, was it a marlin on the wall or something? Mm-hmm. I remember looking at that as a kid, like, that's cool. That's been a long time ago. Old Waycross has seen its changes. It has. It certainly has, like everything. I tell you what, though, you know, a lot of people move off from Waycross and they don't like it anymore. It's the most terrible. Yeah. You know what? It, it mm-hmm. Anywhere you go, it's what you make it. Yeah. I love a Waycross. It's home. I'll never. I don't have a desire to go anywhere. It, um, it took moving off for me to realize this is actually kind of cool. <laughs> well, you know, I, there there's some awesome places in this world. Mm-hmm. Way cooler than Waycross. Beautiful scenery. A lot more to do. Mm-hmm. But I just, I'm fine with visiting those places. Mm-hmm. This is where I've. Yeah, I like to travel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Waycross is home. And, folks, Waycross is where there's something in the water. <laughs> and uh, that's what this podcast is all about. Uh, we appreciate Jason Lee, our guest. I appreciate y'all having me. Really this do. time. And uh, if, if anything, you've learned that uh, drummers are real people. <laughs> and they are smart. <laughs> and we might not be real musicians, but we do hang out with a lot of them. So... We uh, need more drummers. Right? <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate y'all watching. Uh, do all the things. Send us emails at our, uh, and all the information is listed below the video down there uh, where you can like, uh, subscribe, uh, review, rate and review, notify us, uh, leave uh, dirty comments. Leave dirty comments if you don't like what's going on. Well, just don't watch it. Yeah, if there's you, that. Yeah, if That's do, an option. If, if yeah. you do, if you do like what's going on, we'd love to hear from you in an email or what have you. Tell them about our Patreon, Sean. We got a Patreon you can subscribe to, and we have a we we'll have an extra a bonus episode every month on there. It's kind of behind the scenes things, and uh, the we're calling it the deep end. So if you're not getting enough on the regular something in the water podcast you can subscribe to that and see a whole mess of other options slip off in the deep end dive off in the deep end yeah five five bucks a month month and you for now (laughs) (laughs) you better get in now while uh, while the getting's good we got some good things coming coming your way there too so so we appreciate it folks come back see us next time Hey. Okay.